You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. So we'll go to the mailbag. Uh, we'll do we'll do a few emails this time. We'll try to get to I don't know three or four, four or five. We'll see what happens. Um, here's a, we'll start with this. It's a, it's a common pro-choice argument argument if you can call it that. Call it an argument. Uh, I don't believe I've ever specifically responded to it. Somehow I've responded to every pro-choice argument under the sun, but this one I've neglected, even though it's so common. And I tell you why I've neglected it. Because it's not really worthy of a response. But, but these days, even arguments not worthy of a response must be responded to. So here we go. Um, it says, Matt, you're pro-birth, not, pro, not pro-life. You're a fraud. Are you going to adopt all of these unwanted babies? Are you going to pay to house, feed, clothe them? No? Then shut up and let women make their own choices. It's none of your business. Those last two sentences were in all caps, of course. Okay, so, and I, I get a, there's a, there's a version of this uh, email that I get a hundred times a day. So, um, so if you follow this logic, and it's very common, isn't it? We've all heard this. If you follow it, you learn that you're not allowed to oppose murder unless you personally will subsidize the life of the potential victim. Do you get that? So you're a hypocrite. You're a fraud. If you say, for instance, don't murder the homeless, yet you have not personally invited every homeless person in the city into your house to sleep at night. Or if you were walking down the street and you come across uh, somebody in the process of murdering a homeless guy and you say, hey, don't, don't, hurt, don't murder that homeless guy... And the person who says, oh, okay, are you going to let him come into your house? Well, I wasn't planning on it. Well, then you, then it's none of your business. By that logic, of course, that means that none of us can oppose murder in any form. Because none of us are personally feeding and clothing and housing every person in the world. I don't think, I don't think any of us are doing that or are prepared to do it. Yet I can sit here and say there's, you know, 7 billion people in the world. And I think that all 7 billion of them have a right to uh, not be murdered in the street does that mean that i can personally pay for and house and clothe and feed all seven billion no no but i do think that all people all seven billion people have a right to life now uh for the record i do give to the poor i do try to fund pro-life causes and all that i think we ought to but no i can't pay for every baby in the world i can't adopt them all i can't adopt any of them right now in fact i have two kids another on the way uh, it would be irresponsible of me right now to adopt a baby when we're about to have a third, a third kid under four in the house. Irresponsible for us personally. Um, and, you know, according to what we're capable of taking on. Although that may not be the case for everyone, of course. I think adoption is great. I love people who adopt. I think it's, the, I think it's the, the, the great calling, a great vocation. I think it's fantastic. I, have a lot, I admire it. I have a lot of admiration for it. But even people who adopt 
can only adopt a certain number of kids, right? Um, so by this logic, even if you adopt, you're not allowed to oppose the murder of the kids that you didn't adopt. It's only the, the ones that you did. But if you're not adopting them, then you can't say anything about it. Th- th- this is how it goes. It's just absurd, isn't it? I mean, this is really insane. It really is. Pay for this kid or I'll kill him, is what we're being told. It's like the weirdest, most morbid form of a, of a, of a ransom. It's a hostage situation. Subsidize this child or he's dead. That's what pro-choicers say. I mean, how can a person say this stuff? How can you think it? And how can you not see that you've established a precedent that makes it impossible for even you to oppose really any injustice against anyone? Because unless you're paying for or subsidizing the victims, you have no business saying that they have a right to live, apparently. Look, here's what it comes down to. It's wrong to kill. That's a fact. That's a moral truth. Uh, it's wrong to murder. Murder, I should say. It's wrong to murder the innocent. That's the fact. It doesn't matter what else I do with my life. The truth is still the truth. I could be the most selfish person on the planet. I could be hoarding my, my money in like, a, like Scrooge McDuck and diving into it. Not that I have enough to fill a swimming pool. But I could be doing that. And still saying, hey, don't murder babies. And I would still be right. Because the moral truth remains. It's wrong to kill the innocent. Period. It's very simple. What's what's confusing about it? I don't see what's so confusing about it. Okay, this next one is... uh, Well, it's just... Someone sent me a link to to, to something yesterday. And and I read it. And I just wanted to read a little bit of it to you. Uh, Someone sent me this. It's it's an article on a website called Autostraddle. Dot com, which appears to be some kind of feminist, LGBT, wacky, looney tune, progressive website. And so apparently, and I think that this is real and it's not a parody. I'm pretty sure that this is sincere. So apparently this website, uh, they posted a review a few days ago of a movie called Sausage Party, which is a, which is a, it's Seth Rogen's latest piece of crap. And it's, uh, again, him getting together with his buddies. And this time they make a, an animated movie, uh, this kind of nihilistic, animated, R-rated, vulgar movie about uh, talking hot dogs and other anthropomorphic foodstuffs. And, of course, they make a lot of sex jokes and jokes about weed. And at the end, there's a whole message, apparently, about how there is no God and we're all going to die a horrible death or something like that. Anyway, I haven't seen the movie. I have no interest. But this... Website posted a review of the movie, it, it, and, and I think it was a positive review because although there's a lot of intentionally quote-unquote offensive stuff in it, at the end of the day, it's a nihilistic, atheistic movie about how there is no God, so progressives are predisposed to, to like it because of the message at the end. So this progressive website posted the review, and then they got a lot of complaints from their readers who were very offended by the review and offended by the fact that this website apparently liked the movie. So they took down the review and they wrote an apology, a lengthy apology. And the apology is the greatest thing I've ever read. And you read it and you think this, this has to be a parody. It has to be some kind of brilliant satire of liberalism, but it really isn't. It's actually real apparently. And someone sent me this. I just want to read for you uh, a, a few sentences from this apology for the review. And if you don't know a lot about the movie Sausage Party, it's, it, it makes it all even funnier because you really don't need any context at all. Let me just read a couple. This is real. I'm, I'm going to read this to you. This is actually real. 
Um, and so here, here's a few sentences from this apology on this progressive website. Uh, why the review was unacceptable. After we published the review, we heard from Latinx readers. Now, let, let me stop here for a minute. Latinx is it's L-A-T-I-N-X. So rather than Latina or Latino, the politically correct thing now is to say Latinx with an X at the end because your language can't be gendered because Latino is male, Latina is feminine, and obviously that's offensive now. So progressives have made up this word Latinx. And this is what they use now. Latinx. We heard from Latinx readers who believe the portrayal of Salma Hayek's taco was racist and that it reinforced harmful stereotypes. We heard from readers who were upset that we labeled the taco a lesbian when it seems more likely that she was bisexual. We heard from readers who questioned the consent of the sexual encounter between the taco and the hot dog bun. We heard from readers who found the taco to be a damaging betrayal of a predatory queer woman. <laughs> there are several reasons I should have listened to the alarm bells of unease I felt about the Sausage Party review. First and most damning, we allowed a non-Latina writer to cover a story about a caricature of a Latina. And while the review didn't specifically mention the film stereotyping by praising the film as a positive betrayal of a queer Latina... We allowed a white writer to, in effect, condone that stereotyping. Second, when I was looking for reviews, I trusted the opinion of mainstream newspapers. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we did not consult with our full team to see if anyone had heard anything positive or negative about the film's portrayal of a queer Latina character. The taco. <laughs> a queer Latina taco. is the... And finally, we put the burden on Yvonne of being the conscience and voice for all queer Latina women. <laughs> that is, I tell you, that is a struggle too. I mean, we've all been there when we're uh, put in the position of having to be the conscience and voice for all queer Latina women. Uh, you know, I've been there myself and it's a very, it's a, the burden weighs heavily on you. And you think, am I accurately representing the dreams and desires and feelings of all queer Latina women. And <laughs> uh, I am wholly sorry for the pain and anger I caused you. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I was blinded by my own whiteness existing inside a system of white supremacy. I must do better. I will do better. Ugh. I can't, you got to read the whole thing. I would never recommend a website like this, but uh, autostraddle.com, if you go find. I mean, I just, I can't. What else can be said about it? What else can be said about it? I was blinded by my own whiteness. Blinded by my whiteness. It sounds like a, sounds like a, a song, a romantic, a romantic song. Maybe the, the theme song from a, a Meg Ryan and, and, uh, and Tom Hanks romantic comedy from 1997. Blinded by your whiteness. We really, it's, it's past the point of parody. You can't make a parody. You can't satirize progressivism at this point because there's nothing, you know, to make a satire, you have to sort of illustrate the absurdities of a position by going one step more absurd, you know, by, by 
embracing the absurdity and ramping it up to 10 to kind of illustrate how absurd it is. That's how you satirize something. But you can't do that anymore because they're already at it. They're at a they're at a 10. They're at a, a 100 already all the time. And you can't get any more absurd. So all we can do is, well, it's a laugh or cry situation all the time now. It's a laugh or cry. And you can read things like this and you can decide to find the humor in it even if it does represent the decay and destruction of Western civilization and you can laugh about it or you could weep bitterly. And for me, I, I fluctuate wildly between the two. And right now I'm laughing because it'd be very unse- unseemly for me to weep bitterly uh, while I'm doing a podcast. I'll save that for later. Okay, next email. Uh, Dear Matt, what do you make of Trump hiring the Breitbart guy? Yeah, for those of you who at this point have t- tuned out the election, I don't blame you. In fact, um, just to pause there for a minute, you can really shut down now. I mean, you can shut down. You don't have to watch the news, follow the campaigns, watch the speeches, watch the debates. You can tune out completely now for sure. We know everything we need to know about both of these people. We've known it uh, for a long time. We, we've known since before the campaigns even began. Bill Clinton or uh, Hillary Clinton, what's the difference? Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, two of the most visible well-known people in american society for uh, like 30 years now so we know everything i'll put it this way if you've been paying attention and you still feel like you don't have a grasp on what trump and clinton are all about then i have to say that you're the most oblivious ignorant person in the in the universe and please don't vote whatever you do don't vote because you're a dangerous person if you're that ignorant but everyone else, you get it, right? I mean, here's what I mean. If you're sitting there and like you're, you're thinking, I really don't know enough about Clinton and Trump at this point. I, I, really, I, I, I don't know anything about them. I, I don't know what they're all about. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I need more. I need to see more speeches. If you're actually thinking that to yourself, then you'll never get it. You never will. You, you just never will. But everyone else, you get it. We all get it. That's why I, I don't understand these people who say, oh, Trump is giving a speech. Clinton is doing a town hall. We better tune in. Why? What are you going to learn? We have decades of evidence on both of these people. But what? One more speech? Just read one more speech that they read from a... Just watch one more speech that they read from a prompter or a speech written by someone else and that may drastically change everything? How? Why? So there's no point at this. If you're going to vote for Trump, you're going to vote for him. Whoever you're going to vote for, you should know by now. I mean... Nothing is going to change in the next 80 or 90 days. These people are not going to change. So that's it. You know, you, you should have made up your mind by now. There's no reason to have not made up your mind. And then you can kind of tune out. And when election time comes, go and, and do, do what you will. Anyway, so if you have tuned out, Trump hired the CEO of Breitbart to, uh, to his campaign. And Breitbart has been Trump's Pravda, Trump's propaganda arm from day one. And now he's actually hired the guy in charge of Breitbart to run his campaign, which makes it official. What do I have to say about that? Well, I, you know, I, nothing. I don't care. Breitbart is a disgrace um, as a website. It's a website that has completely sold its soul, has completely abandoned the mission of its founder, Andrew Breitbart, and everyone who works there should be ashamed. Um, and I don't care. I, I just don't care about any of this anymore. I know the score. We all know the score. And that's all. Okay, next we have a message from someone reacting. A big fan of mine, it sounds like. Someone who read my post on the Milwaukee riots earlier in the week, and uh, which went massively viral, which I, I didn't really expect. 
And uh, I talked about the Milwaukee riots and the young man who got himself shot by the cops because he pulled a gun on law enforcement. And as you, could, as you might imagine, I am anti-riots and I'm also anti-pulling the gun, pulling guns on cops. That's my position, very radical position. And I got a lot of, a lot of hysterical messages in response to that, death threats and everything else. Here's just one. Here's just one. Uh, it says, F you, D-head. My God, may God hold you in contempt on judgment day and let your evil tongue make the rest of your life on earth hell. Like you get hit by a bus and can never walk again and go brain dead. How dare you comment on a young man in such a way. And if you have a son, I trust he gets shot and killed so I can come on your page and laugh because I know he deserved it on your behalf. Go kill yourself. I know I will be praying over your life. Amen. So there you go. This has been my week, by the way, like this a a thousand times over. I'm a beloved figure in American society, as you can tell. I do like that after wishing I'm paralyzed and my child is killed and that I'm killed. I do like that uh, at the end, uh, she said that she would pray for me. So that's so that that makes it all very quick. That puts a nice little Christian bow on the whole thing, doesn't it? Although I'm confused because on one hand, she's uh, wanting me to, to be paralyzed. But on the other hand, she's wanting me to kill myself. Now, how am I going to kill myself if I'm paralyzed and brain dead? That's my question. So I'm very confused. If I did want to follow her advice, how would I go about doing it? It just seems, it just seems, um, it doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't seem practical. Anyway, moving on. Another email. Matt, on Twitter, you were arguing over the issue of Christians drinking. You seem to think it's okay for Christians to drink. But can't you respect Christians who don't drink? This should not be an issue calling, cause, causing divisions in the body of Christ. Yeah, I do. I agree totally. Not an issue for divisions, for sure. And we were talking about this on Twitter. Um, I think it's an interesting issue. Here's what I'll say. If Christians decide that they personally don't want to drink, are against it personally, are not fans of it, whatever, I say, great. Total respect for that view. Total respect. Uh, No question about it. There's no problem. No reason to argue about it. I say, you know, Godspeed. God be with you. That's great. Let's be friends. We can still be friends. I mean, I like to go to the pub and have a beer with my friends, so you won't be able to do that with me, but we can still hang out afterwards, right? And we can be friends and everything's fine. Here's the issue. And no, it's not the most important issue, but it's what we were talking about on Twitter. The issue is when a Christian declares that objectively it's a sin to drink. And a lot of Christians do say this, that it's a sin objectively. It's no matter how much you drink, even in moderation, even if you're not getting drunk, you have a, you have a glass of wine with dinner as an adult, it's a, it's, a, it's a sin. You know, I've heard that many times. That's what sparked this whole debate on Twitter, which is, which is by the way, a great forum for a theological debate, isn't it? And, and a lot of Christians will say that the Bible forbids any kind of alcoholic consumption. That, to me, is, is wrong. It's not the worst wrong thing you can say, but it's wrong. It's just wrong. And it absolutely rejects certain passages of the gospel, which you can't do. That's not to say that not drinking is rejecting those passages. Just because you don't drink, it doesn't mean you're rejecting the gospel. But to claim that any kind of drinking is a sin, well, then you have simply rejected certain parts of the gospel. As far as I can tell, it's simple. Christ's first miracle on earth his first public miracle was, well, there were two 
things about it that were pretty incredible. Aside from the fact that it was just a miracle, so it's already incredible. Um, first, if you remember at the wedding, Cana, he didn't want to do it. It's a very interesting. He didn't want to perform the miracle, but he did it because his mother told him. He obeyed his mother. She came to him at the wedding and she said, hey, we're running out of wine, Jesus. Please do something about it. And, uh, and he said, my time has not yet come. So at first he, he refused and he said, my time is, you know, this is not my time. And she doesn't even, at least from the account in the gospel, she doesn't even really respond to that. She just turns to the servants and says, do as he says, because she knows that, that, that he'll do as she asked because she's his mother. And I just think that's a fascinating dynamic and an inspiring one uh, and an important one that God himself listens to his mother. And so what does he do? He turns water into wine. Not just wine, but the very best wine. They say that. The very best wine. It says that in there. The best wine. And why? Well, because his mom asked. But why did she ask? Because it was a party, a celebration. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't an emergency. Nobody was going to die of thirst. You know, this wasn't uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. Nobody was dead. But... You can't have a celebration without wine. That was the logic anyway. So that was his first miracle. Jesus' first miracle was being a really cool party guest, essentially. That's what this was. It was, just, it was providing wine for a celebration and nothing more than that and nothing less. So to just announce, assume out of nowhere, based on nothing, that this wine that Jesus made, this wine that they said was the best wine, fine wine, wine at a party, wine needed for a celebration, to just say, oh, it was unfermented, non-alcoholic, well, that's absurd. I, I mean, it's, it's based on nothing. You're just, you're just inventing that for no reason. And it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's injecting something into the gospel story that isn't in there. And if you do that, then you're doing it for your own sake to satisfy your own preferences and prejudices. And you can't do that. You just can't. The story is clear. Nobody drinks non-alcoholic wine at a party. You think Jesus' first miracle on earth was providing grape juice to party guests? And when the party guests talk about how they were impressed that apparently this party had saved their best wine for last, were they saying that about grape juice? Was that the miracle, making grape juice for a party? Making grape juice for a dry wedding? No, it's not in there. It's not what it says. It doesn't say grape juice. It says wine. At a party, at a celebration. So that's all. I mean, so look, avoid wine if you want to. That's totally fine. There's, nobody's telling you you have to drink wine. I completely respect that. But you can't say that wine is a sin. I, I mean, you just can't. I, I, I don't understand that anyone could look at that story and say it's a sin. Because if you say that, then you have to say that Jesus sinned or that he, uh, in fact, he caused scandal by providing a sinful substance to, 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 to party guests. I mean, and you can't say that, obviously. So that's all, you know. And people will make their own decisions about, you know, what they want to do about alcohol. And I understand if you, know, you have an alcohol problem that obviously you want to avoid, avoid it. If there's someone in your family, in your house that has an alcohol problem, then you might say, well, let's not have alcohol in the house. If you're going to hang out with a buddy who has an alcohol problem, then you're not going to say, let's go to a bar. 
all that is good. That's important. Uh, but you know, we can't say that it's intrinsically immoral to, to drink wine because that's just not true. There's not, I mean, you just, you would have to add some pretty incredible and kind of ridiculous details into some of these gospel stories in order to make that work. And, uh, there's, and you can't do that and there's no reason to try. It's just, you know, we all, here's the thing about this. This is one of the great things about Christianity is that, um, yes, it is a, a religion that has rules and laws because it's a real religion and, uh, it reflects reality and reality has rules and laws. You know, we have the law of gravity in reality. Uh, and nobody walks around saying that because we have gravity, that it's some sort of oppressive situation. It's just, this is what makes reality reality that there are certain confines right and we exist in three dimensions we don't exist in one dimension or five dimensions or six dimensions we exist in three dimensions that's another raw uh, law sort of guideline of uh, of reality and i think that there's also the same dynamic in the spiritual and moral realm there are moral laws and, and spiritual you know laws and christianity preaches about those talks about those and we can't ignore that. A lot of churches today want to ignore that. And, and of course, that's very damaging. But within those laws, we, in fact, have a lot of room to work. Not that we can negotiate or compromise with steadfast moral laws. But within those moral laws, we have our conscience that we can follow. And we can decide, hey, I want to drink. I don't want to drink. I, you know, I, I want to eat meat. I don't want to eat meat. I want to get a tattoo or not get a tattoo. I mean, all things in moderation, but, but we are, th- this is why the ceremonial Old Testament laws were uh, fulfilled in, in Christ. And now we're not subject to those laws anymore. We have Christ's laws and we have our conscience, which, which is God speaking to us. So if your conscience tells you, don't drink any amount at all, if that's, what, if that's where your conscience is leading you, is inspiring you in that direction, then go ahead and do it. I, I know that there are Christians, uh, I know of Christians who, who don't eat meat. And not because they think that no Christian should eat meat. They're aware that this is not a law prescribed in the gospel. But they themselves, that's a sacrifice that they themselves feel compelled to make. It's a private devotion that they feel like God is pulling them in that direction. To forgo this, to sacrifice it, for whatever reason, to bring them closer to God, to be an example to others. But they wouldn't go around saying, no Christian should eat meat. It's just something that they've, and that's fine. They're allowed to do that. And, it's a per, and we should, and if your conscience is telling you, don't do this or do this, as long as it doesn't, is whatever, you know, if your conscience is telling you to do something that defies a moral law, a law that Christ laid down for us, then obviously your conscience, that's not your conscience speaking, actually. You're, you're not hearing your conscience. That's temptation and desire overriding your conscience, and you have to be careful about that. But as long as it's within those laws, then, it is, then you should follow your conscience. So in that sense, you could say that, you know, and I kind of don't like the word because of what it implies, but in the context that I'm talking about, as Christians, we do have a lot more leeway than people realize. And on top of that, there's one other thing a great thing about Christianity that we have to always remember is that it's a celebratory religion. It's, um, it's a joyful religion and there's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of pain and we can't forget about that. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore sin and evil and temptation and all of these things that, uh, that have to be a part of, uh, that are, are a part of our faith are a part of reality. 
but it's also celebratory at the same time, which is why I think it's so significant that Christ's first miracle, his first public miracle, as far as we know, on earth was to provide wine for a celebration, to provide wine for a party so that people could have a good time. And, and that was it. I mean, that's why they wanted the wine. And that's what Jesus did. And what happened? We, we don't know what happened after that. He provided the wine. We know that they drank it. They were impressed by what, what great wine it was. I mean, could, I imagine it was the best wine they've ever had. It was wine. It was miraculous wine. It was wine made by God. Uh, so it had to be the best wine they've ever had in their lives. But I, I don't think we're told exactly what Jesus did. Do we imagine that Jesus sort of sulked off to the corner and crossed his arms and sat there judging these people for drinking the wine disapprovingly? Like a school marm? Is that what he did? I, no, I don't think that's what he did. We don't, we don't know exactly what he did, but I imagine that he joined in the celebration. I imagine he had some of the wine and joined in the celebration himself. Or what, should we imagine anything less than that? I'll tell you, for me, if I'm getting together with uh, people or I'm with my family, you know, my brother comes to visit or something, we'll, uh, you know, what I like to do is we'll, we'll have a beer and uh, maybe a cigar or something, and we'll sit around and we'll talk. And a lot of times the conversation gets, you know, spiritual. We'll talk about faith and religion. We'll talk about books and movies and we'll talk about whatever. And we'll have substantive conversations while, while we're enjoying a beer. And it's joyful and it's a, we're bonding. And I believe that God looks down on those moments and he smiles and he's happy because God wants us to have those moments. Is it impossible to have those moments without beer? No, I'm not saying it is, but for some it, you know, adds to the moment it's an extra enjoyable thing and is, again as long as it's in moderation then then uh, then you're fine all right uh i guess i went a little bit longer on that one than i expected to so we're gonna we're gonna leave it there i'm actually going on uh, a, a real vacation which i haven't had in, in, in quite some time so i won't be doing any podcast next week but i'll catch up with you guys i guess in in september